We are glad that you are uh, deciding to be with us tonight as we continue our summer series together. We have a, uh, it's hard to call him a, a guest speaker because he is part of the family here, although he, he and his family have been gone for a little while. But uh, Cody Poe is speaking to us tonight. Um, he came here when he was going through law school, uh, he and his wife Hallie, when they first came through. Um, it was right before they got married, so they were finding a uh, place to, you know, call home here and as they were getting ready to start law school and they spent their time and uh, eventually ended up moving down to Mobile and is working down there doing a great job. But I'm excited about Cody being here and his family. Um, they're around here somewhere. We were looking for them ahead of time. So uh, it is great to have them uh, to be back at Dalreda and to be a part of this. And when I was thinking about uh, this series and uh, different names are being tossed around, uh, Cody is one of them that came to mind, especially when it comes to reaching out in evangelism, because I know that's something that he's passionate about and something that he's going to be sharing with us tonight. So before uh, he gets up here to speak, let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll hand it over to Cody. Hey, Father, we come before you thankful for this day uh, where we get to uh, come here to be a family, to work together, but also as we challenge one another on your words, I pray that you'll be with Cody as he presents this lesson to us. Help us to take it to heart as a challenge to do your will. We love you so much, and we praise to you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right. Sorry, I wanted to take a moment and kind of soak it in. Um, it's so good getting to be back at a place that um, sometimes my, my spirit longs for uh, in a lot of ways. Who I am as a person uh, and, and the passion that, that has been instilled in me for service for the Lord directly stems from the training and encouragement that I received at this church. Uh, you are all so important to me, and it is truly the highest of honors to be able to, uh, to share with you uh, some lessons that, that I've gotten to learn over the last couple of years in uh, trying to make my life more about evangelism and reaching out, and especially training Christians to evangelize in, a, in an uncertain world. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, this man here, uh, Charles Duell, was the patent commissioner for the United States. It was his job to oversee the organization responsible for handing out patents to inventors. He infamously said around the turn of the century that everything that can be invented has been invented. Everything that can be invented has been invented. And about 120 years later, this guy is... Uh, a billionaire space explorer from South Africa using cryptocurrency, an electronic form of money, to fund a project where he can implant a microchip into your brain to allow you to access the internet that he's providing via satellites that when linked together form what he calls a constellation. And all of this is happening because he's afraid that artificial intelligence is going to destroy humanity. But everything that's been invented, uh, I mean, that's it. That's, it has been invented. In a theme like uh, evangelizing in a virtual world, um, I have this impulse. I want to, to try and give you what, like, what the future is going to look like. It would be nice to know how to prepare for an exact future. But, but honestly, I don't know that we could figure out what technology is going to look like in 10 years. Probably couldn't even figure out what technology is going to look like next year. It is expanding at such an unstoppable rate that sometimes the only thing we can do is just passively observe some of those things. And it's going to be hard to figure out what kind of challenges and opportunities will come with each iteration of technology. But regardless of that, I can say this with the utmost confidence. 
that our God is ready. Our God is ready for whatever future we will face. And our God is ready, if you are a Christian tonight, to use you to take the good news of Christ's salvation to an uncertain world. He's not relying on your power. He's not relying on your wisdom. He's not relying on your word, but his. What he wants from each of us is obedience. Evangelism, using the good news of God's glory to change the world, has been part of our obedience-based relationship with God since the beginning. Using the good news of God's glory to change the world has been a part of the obedience-based relationship and partnership that God has offered to mankind since the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says this, Let's make man in our image. In chapter 2 and verse 7, we get the mechanism of how it happened. God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And in response, and after creating man and woman, God said this to them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on this earth. Why did God do this? Why did It has to do a lot with that word, subdue. Another good word for it is cultivate. What God envisioned for his relationship with mankind is that man would cultivate the world around this perfect garden so that wherever man was, as, as the earth is being filled, as man is being fruitful and multiplying, it would expand the borders of that garden where man and God could dwell together so that at every place on this earth, wherever man was, so would be the glory, presence, and image of God. And in doing so, God establishes a pattern. In the Garden Commission, God establishes a pattern. This is what he says, that he breathes life into his creation, that he commands his creation to fill the earth with his glory, and he endows his creation with his power and authority to fulfill that command. If you turn to the Gospels in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, Jesus the form of God on earth reissues the garden command in the Great Commission. He says this in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. Notice some of the parallels that we see between the garden and Great Commission. You have the word dominion and subdue in the garden commission. It has its correlation and parallel in Jesus' authority, his power, his influence in this world. God tells man to be fruitful and multiply. Jesus, in the Great Commission, tells his new creation to make disciples. God says, fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And Jesus says, make disciples of every nation. The parallels are astounding between the Garden and Great Commission. It's even more so if you look at John's account of the Great Commission. It's a lot more subtle, but a lot more uh, in-depth. John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Jesus appeared to them and said, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them and said, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did he breathe on them? John, as he does so many times in his gospel, correlates Jesus' activity and compares it and parallels God's activity in the creation account. 
John frequently wants to make that comparison for his readers to see that just as God did, so did Jesus, and that's why we can trust him. That's why we can have faith. That's why we obey. And that garden commission is perfectly reiterated in the same way, uh, reiterated in uh, the Great Commission. So the pattern continues in the New Testament. Jesus breathes life into his new creation. He commands them to be fruitful and multiply disciples. And he endows his disciples with the Holy Spirit and his authority to help fulfill that command to go into all the world and make disciples. When it comes to evangelism, there is a lie dwelling within each of our hearts that we're not suited to fulfill God's command to go and teach. If you are a Christian and have been redeemed by Jesus, you are absolutely, unequivocally, unquestionably suited to evangelize. It's what God designed you to do. It's what Christ redeemed us to do. You see, for us living in the 21st century, the pattern continues in us. Christ breathes new life into us. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 18. The command to be fruitful and multiply disciples continues in us. Romans 7 and verse 4. And He endows us as His disciples with the authority in the Spirit-filled Word, the God-breathed Word, the same breath that gave man life, the same breath that Jesus breathed on His disciples to say, receive the Holy Spirit, is living and active in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. So, when it comes to evangelizing in an uncertain world, we have confidence, we have comfort in knowing that we're part of a larger pattern, that God designed us for this moment to share the gospel with the world around us, to bring the glory that wherever man is, so is the glory, presence, and image of God. Over the last uh, year and a half, almost two years down at Creekwood, we've wrestled with the same question that you've proposed tonight of training Christians to evangelize uh, in a virtual world. Um, it's something that, that we've, we've tried to, to figure out, try to make considerable efforts to, to train Christians. And so tonight, a journey. Uh, because in a lot of ways, it's nice to know that what you were doing is perfect and it worked, but a lot of times you learn good lessons from the things that didn't work. And so some of the lessons that we'll share tonight uh, about training Christians stems from that effort that, that we put forward um, down uh, at Creekwood. Um, but I want to say this is a little caveat. Um, a lot of it, uh, a lot of what we propose uh, down there uh, and what I'll be sharing with you tonight stems from lessons that I learned here. Uh, I don't know if a lot of you remember about, my goodness, maybe six, seven years ago, uh, Melvin Ote taught a, in a personal evangelism class. It was singly one of the greatest uh, classes that I've ever been a part of and has made important impacts in my life. And I know a lot of those who, who were in that class, it, it helped change you too. A lot of things I owe to him and I owe to that and I owe to others within this church who have challenged me in new and different ways. And I so I hope as, as we dig through uh, the, the lesson tonight that you'll be encouraged, maybe have some lessons reiterated to you that you've already participated in and that we can grow in this effort to, to bring God's glory to the world around us. So for point number one tonight, point number one, if you're keeping up with a little point system, if we're preparing Christians to evangelize in a virtual world, one of the things that Christians need to have is to be 
prepared to pray. Be prepared to pray. As you well know, one of the tenets of our faith as uh, restoration is trying to move Christianity back into a, a, uh, a more biblical model that we see in Scripture. One of those tenets is that we want to mirror the patterns and practices of the early church. Now, that tenet, that, that motivation, sometimes begins and ends with Sunday morning worship. And we, we see the church uh, active, actively doing something in, in the New Testament. We want to do those things, but uh, we kind of limit it to our weekends. But I think you'll agree with me that when it comes to a faithful Christian life, we're not limited to weekend activities, that, that it's the measure of our lives is, is how we determine faithfulness, dedication to God at all points. And so one of those things that, that in my life and in what we were trying to do at Creepwood that, that I've had to learn a hard lesson about is that in order for people to be successful evangelists, it all depends largely on their prayer life. And we have patterns in Scripture that demonstrate perfectly how active the early church's prayer life was. Look at the pattern of prayer that we see in the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts. I want to share with you the verse and then in response what God did or what opportunities they got to experience as a result of prayer. Acts 2 and verse 42, I've kind of cut it down a little bit. What Among the many things they were devoted to, one of them was what? Prayer. Prayer. And in response to their devotion, God responded by adding to the church, those who are being saved. If we're concerned about evangelizing in our world, we need to pattern ourselves in this and be devoted to prayer both in our personal lives and as a church. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. What were they doing? Well, they were going to pray. But importantly, they were going to find an opportunity in the later parts of chapter 3. Not only did they get to heal a man who was sitting by the temple gates, but Peter and John also had the opportunity to share the gospel with a much larger audience. They caused such a big ruckus that even the temple guards, the Sadducees, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking and got to hear more. They took them in front of the Sanhedrin where they got to continue to share the gospel, praying, resulting in the gospel being shared. Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, after Peter and John were told, don't speak about the Lord anymore. The church gathered together and with one voice in a united front prayed to God, lift up their voices together in prayer to God. And in response, what happened? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The pattern in the New Testament for the church is to have a devoted prayer life. And the reason why I share it with you as a first step in training Christians to be better evangelists in a virtual world is this. The quality of my prayer life confronts how I view God's activity in this world and determines whether I think evangelism is worth my time. I'll say that again for you. The quality of my prayer life confronts how I view God's activity in this world and determines whether I think evangelism is worth my time. Why is that? Well, if I don't believe that God is, if I don't pray, it's because I don't believe that God is responding to my prayers, right? If you know that the, the greatest thing that could ever exist exists and it is there to hear your prayers because you have obediently followed Jesus Christ, every second of every day would be, it would be worth our time to pray. But if I don't have a good quality prayer life, it's because 
I don't believe that God's responding to it. And maybe if I do believe that there is some response, I'm not attributing the things that are going on in my life to God's activity. If I don't believe that God responds to prayer, then I'm never going to evangelize. If I don't think he makes a difference in my life, I can't go and share with somebody else that he makes a difference in theirs. The quality of our prayer life confronts how we view God's activity and determines whether we think evangelism is worth our time. I want to share with you uh, something that, that has been troubling me uh, in our post-COVID world. Uh, you know, whenever we had to separate for such a long time, whenever we couldn't gather with uh, people that we loved because of, of an uncontrollable force, it had me question, when I got back with people that, that, that believe like me, how would I spend my time? Would I spend it differently than maybe I was doing before? Would I operate in a different way? And one of the things that I've reevaluated, in a large part based off of Scripture's witness, is praying with my brothers and sisters. You know, we historically have done a great job of studying the Word. We truly have. I, I think that's commendable that we are dedicated to studying the Word because at the end of the day, Jesus' words are what's going to condemn us, right? We should know what Scripture says. We have Bible classes, we have sermons, we have Wednesday night Bible studies. Whenever we gather together outside of church for a meal, there's always a devotional or some kind of discussion about Scripture. We spend a lot of time studying Scripture, but only devote a fraction of our time to prayer. Prayer in our worship, prayer in our time together outside of worship is treated more like an appetizer and dessert as opposed to the whole course, which is what Scripture witnesses to. So what can we do to change that? What decisions can be made to uh, devote our lives to sitting down with one another and praying more? I'll give you an example, and it's one that you've put forth yourself. I loved what you did back uh, in the middle of May, and I, my understanding there's supposed to be some more times, where you gathered on Sunday night, a time whenever services are not, are not back together, and you devoted your time to prayer, looking just like the early church devoting their time in, in Acts chapter 4 to prayer. That is a brilliant idea, spending time looking at the church's needs, looking at opportunities we may have in our life, and actually just, just taking a step back and asking God to, to help us out with that. I know you guys are going to see so much fruit from that because people who devote themselves to prayer see God's activity in this world, see His providence that He provides. But what if we did that as part of our regular gatherings? What if that wasn't just a once-a-month thing, but a regular feature of our time together? What fruit would we see? What lives would be changed? How would we see God? I want to share with you, uh, as we go through the lesson, a couple of different resources that I've gotten to encounter uh, with each little uh, subset, uh, each little topic that, that I'll kind of get into. Uh, and one of them, the first two that I'll share with you tonight, they're not really technology-based, um, unless you have like an iPhone and you want to use it this way. One of them is a, is a prayer calendar. It's a prayer calendar. This is something that we've been using a little bit uh, in our lives. All it is, take how many days there are out of the month and put somebody's name associated with that day of the month. Write their name down and pray for them. Reach out to them. Text them and say, hey, 
I have this prayer calendar where I'm going through praying for people that I care about. I would love to pray for you, what's going on in your life. It can be a Christian. Importantly, as it relates to our topic of evangelism, it could be someone that's not. And maybe importantly, it could be somebody that's not. Ask them what's going on in their lives and what you might be able to pray for. And the reason for doing that as it relates to evangelism is it puts us in a different type of relationship. Instead of us just being, you know, well, you're my friend, we spend time together, you're my coworker, we, you know, we'll chat at lunch. You are a fundamental part of my life, and the most intimate thing that I can do with my Creator is talk to Him. I want to invite you into that part of my life. A prayer calendar where you just simply go through every day and pray for somebody, reaching out to them, uh, and building a relationship where the gospel can intervene and 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 change somebody's life. The second one uh, listed up there is called the prayer quadrant. This one I think is pretty neat, uh, especially if you are a little bit more cautious or hesitant to, uh, to share a lot about yourself or share the gospel with somebody. I'll kind of lay it out for you, just put it all up there together. Uh, what it is, you take people where you are in the relationship with them and pray them through to the point where you can share the gospel with them. The way you're orienting yourself to the point where you know, you're moving somebody along in your own life that you can pray for them. You start off with casual. Everybody's got somebody in their life that they have a casual relationship with. You see them at the coffee pot at work. It's somebody, maybe your neighbor that you wave to every now and then. It's a casual relationship. Spend time. Put them in the box. Spend time praying for them, that God would give you an opportunity to enhance that relationship where you can start talking about more meaningful things, ask about their life, what's going on in it, uh, you know, what's, what's changing. And then you pray for them in that meaningful stage where you have a good relationship with them. You know a little bit about them. You're growing in your relationship with them. Move that relationship along in your prayers to the point where you can have a spiritual conversation. There's a lot of darkness in this world around us. Why do you think that's happening? What, what, what's your take on it? You know, just something that to, to build... Uh, and move people along instead of keeping them held back away from the gospel because we're hesitant to share the gospel. And then finally, the discovery stage, that has to do with a a format of a Bible study that we do. Um, The discovery stage, really all it means is to the point where you're ready to study with somebody, where you feel that you have built a relationship enough through careful uh, attention to prayer that it makes sense and they will be more receptive to you wanting to share how we understand Scripture to uh, to portray the gospel. So a couple of simple little tools for you, nothing technology-based, even though it's a technology-based uh, theme. Uh, but, but importantly, prayer is such an important, maybe one of the most important assets that we have as it relates to evangelism. I'll share with you a, a little bit um, of a story that, that are not really a great story. It's just a kind of an example of prayer. But I have this friend, very close friend of mine who has been a great inspiration to me in personal evangelism. He's probably one of the more evangelistic people that I know. He's not even a preacher, not a minister. He's somebody that cares. Uh, he worked for the longest time at one of the Walmarts in Mobile. And uh, he viewed his coworkers and those who came in and out of the store as his mission field. And one of the ways that he would reach out to people is, you know, if he was having a casual conversation with them and they were kind of sharing a little bit more about themselves as people tend to do, the more relationships grow, he would stop and say, hey, do you mind if I pray about that with you? He never had anybody say no. In fact, the times that I've started doing it because of him, nobody's ever said no. And what that does is puts you in a different plane with somebody. Instead of just being like this you know, buffer between two people who could have a lot in common, uh, it, it kind of breaks those barriers and demonstrates uh, how much you, you value them and want 
God to help them out in that relationship. So prayer not only can be something that, that we're doing to improve ourselves and train ourselves to be more faithful to God, it can also be a great segue into sharing the gospel, which he's demonstrated and, and I've seen on numerous occasions. Um, little thing to keep in mind um, as we wrap up point number one of, of a, uh, a devoted prayer life or um, being committed to prayer comes from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9, verse 24. It's a story where Jesus heals the official's child. Now, if you recall, um, the man comes up to Jesus and says, please, 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 heal my, heal my child. They're, they're sick. And Jesus says, if you believe the child will be healed, then I'll do it, and it'll be done. The man, importantly, says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Those are the prayers that we need to have on the tip of our tongue as we pursue people and sharing the good news about Jesus with them. That, that sometimes we have a hesitation, but there is a great God in heaven who's ready to help remove some of those doubts, some of those anxieties, some of those unbeliefs, as the book of Mark says. So the quality of our prayer life confronts our views about God and evangelism. Point number two. Point number two, if we're training Christians to evangelize in a virtual world of new opportunities and challenges, we need to be prepared to lead. We need to be prepared to lead. One thing that I think you may echo in your own experience with evangelism is it's a fairly daunting task when you've never seen it done before, right? You know, like A lot of times you, you sit here and you hear a sermon or maybe even a little talk like this about needing to go out and evangelize and you get that like knot in the pit of your stomach. It's almost like, you know, whenever you play a board game for the first time and somebody's trying to explain all these like rules and strategies to you and you have like no concept of what the game actually looks like. So none of the rules make sense. It doesn't resonate. It just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It's because we have no real concept of what those things look like. And, you know, in our world, in our working world, we really don't do this with people. You know, when I started uh, prosecuting at the DA's office, I wasn't just handed a stack of files and kind of kicked into a courtroom. They knew that I had never been in a courtroom before. I'd been in a classroom courtroom, but that's vastly different than seeing somebody in an orange jumpsuit with uh, handcuffs on. It's a little bit more daunting to jump in there and do that. And so what they did is, they what? They let me shadow an experienced attorney. They let me see how it was done. They let me you know, ask questions of somebody that knew what they were doing. And then after a while, maybe I got to handle a few things myself with you know, kind of a good little bit of oversight. And then eventually, you know, after enough practice and enough time, was able to, to spread my own wings. And in every job that I've ever had, it's kind of been that same concept. You know, If you want to be a plumber, you don't just jump in and you're a master plumber because you're interested in it. No, there's a process. You have to go through an apprenticeship, a journeyman kind of status. And eventually, after enough time and under the supervision and wisdom of someone who knows what they're doing, then you can get out there and, and share and, and do what you're supposed to do. Um, the design of the church and church leadership is not just one of decision making, but of disciple maker making. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says this Jesus himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the elders, and teachers to equip the church for works of service so the body may be built up. Paul uh, here. Uh, you know, shares that Jesus specifically chose. If you fit within one of these roles, Jesus specifically chose your role to help equip his church to make disciples, not just equip, but 
there's a more uh, visual type meaning, and it comes from the Gospels when Jesus is talking about Zebedee mending his nets. If you're a leader in this church, you're what binds these things together. You're what makes this all work. You're, you're, the, you're the ligaments, and without you, the entire effort is disjointed. Um, so how do we do this? How is it done? How is uh, leader-led evangelism accomplished? Well, it's pretty, I think, straightforward in Paul's writings to Timothy and his relationship with Timothy. We have multi-generational multiplication, in short, is what Paul does with Timothy. And uh, Paul says this, And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who can teach others also, there are three different components that exist in this multiplication process. Number one, there's investing. Paul was able to spend time with Timothy. Imagine the conversations that they got to have together about evangelism, about the works of God, about what God was doing in each of their lives. Paul spent time with Timothy before ever sending him to share that message with other people. How can we make that work within the church here? How can we make it work with those who are out there doing the work, sharing the gospel? What can we do to sit down and actually uh, have those conversations, invest in people so that they can become comfortable with sharing the gospel? What kind of practicing could we do to give people the confidence to go out and share the gospel? Not only is there investing, but there's demonstrating. The phrase there uh, to uh, to share it, uh, to... to uh, pass it on to other people, is not just a, uh, a word about you know, giving this information. It's not just about, you know, hey, I've told you these words, give these exact words, but it's demonstrating it. The word there, uh, the, to pass it on to those who can teach others also, means to set it before them, to actually let them look at it. So Timothy, I'm, I, in the way that I demonstrated faithful gospel teaching, you do the same thing. Go and demonstrate it. And then finally, the third step, dispatching. And this is where the multi-generational multiplication comes in. Not only are we showing it, not only are we investing in people, not only are we demonstrating evangelism by having somebody come alongside us and watch us do the work, but then we send them out to do it themselves. Not only to share the gospel, but to teach others also. This church is fantastic at dispatching. I think that is a great component of the work that goes on here. We're sending people to Ukraine. We're sending people to Africa. What if we took some of those same tools, those same efforts, those same mindsets that we have with overseas mission work and applying it to Montgomery? Investing in people who can go and teach others also. little tool, and I know I'm running out of a little bit of time here, but a little tool that I do want to share with you that we have been using at Creekwood to help make this effort happen where leaders are, are uh, encouraging and, and helping uh, others to, to take on the work of evangelism. This app here, it's called Mission Hub. Mission Hub, and what it is, it's pretty straightforward. It's kind of like a social media-based platform where you can uh, do a couple of really neat things. One of the things that you can do is you can designate somebody in your life who you want to share the gospel with and you want to build a relationship to where you can share the gospel with them. Uh, and so you're able to go through and do these things called steps of faith. Uh, and what it is, it'll suggest kind of new ways that you can reach out to a person, whether it's showing that you care by bringing them a meal, inviting them for coffee, or it even gives you little topics that you can use to transition a conversation into a gospel-sharing conversation. Uh, so just a neat app, but importantly, is, 
as it relates to giving people the tools and in training Christians to evangelize is a community-based feature, meaning that somebody uh, who is a leader within this church can build a little community, invite people who have the app to go on there, and, and it gives suggestions on how to, to kind of sharpen each other's sword, to sharpen iron with iron. Uh, and it does it through answering spiritual questions, community needs. A really neat one that, that I've found to be extremely fruitful is a challenge. Uh, there's an opportunity to issue a challenge to everybody in the group. So, you know, pretty straightforward um, little piece of technology to be able to use to help train Christians. That's kind of what we're trying to do with this theme of, of training Christians to operate in a virtual world. And that's using what we have been given with the virtual world to help train the Christians and using apps and technology like this one here. How are we doing on time, Doug? A little bit over. Five or six minutes. Hey, that's pretty good. That's a whole point we got to get to in five or six minutes. So I'll be brief. We'll, we'll share what we've got here, and, and then we'll transition out of it. Point number three, if we're, tra- if we're training Christians to evangelize in a world, uh, in a virtual world of opportunities and challenges, we need to prepare them to adapt. Prepare them to adapt. And that's really the larger point of all this. And we can see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 or, uh, through 13, excuse me, 13 through 19. Uh, Paul says this, Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having a law, I became like one not having a law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having a law. To the weak, I became weak. I've become all things to all people. That by all means, I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. 19 through 23 was that, that verse, if you're writing it down. Paul here is responding to criticism that he's received uh, over the years um, and articulates what I think is one of the most wholesome statements as it relates to reaching out and training Christians in an uncertain world. He's able to adapt himself with his birth, uh, birthright as a Roman citizen, with his knowledge of the world around him to make the biggest impact possible. You know, you think about him using his Roman citizenship well, while he's under arrest, is able to use that Roman citizenship to navigate the world and continue sharing the gospel, even able to share the gospel with an entire island of people at that same time when he's bit by the serpent. It fully encompasses the whole point tonight, that, that wherever we are, whether it is on earth or Mars, or whether it's a virtual world made of ones and zeros, we need to be able to adapt ourselves to be everything to everyone so that all can share in the blessings of the gospels of the gospel. So let's talk a little bit uh, very briefly about becoming all things, becoming all things. Uh, importantly, if we're worried about becoming all things, we need to think about how that's exactly what, what Christ did when he came to this earth. See, becoming all things that Paul is talking about is a perfect reflection of the gospel, that, that it's we're no longer owning the things that were of ourselves, but we're living for Christ. Just as Christ left the throne room of glory to come to earth to take the form of a servant, so we also are crucified with him and allowing him to live in our lives. Paul here meaning that if, if I'm going to continue living on this earth, I've got to keep in mind that, that what Christ has done for me means that I need to live as if he is embodying me at this time. 
So we need to adapt ourselves to be able to best suit the gospel. Um, we'll keep kind of pushing through it. We need to apply this to all men, you know, uh, and that's adapting to different levels of ripeness. If you take a pear and a pineapple, they have two different levels of ripeness. If you take a pear off a tree early, well, guess what? It continues to ripen. You take a pineapple off, it doesn't ripen at all. But if you wait for a pear to ripen on the outside, well, then you are going to uh, miss that it's already ripened on the inside and it may be full of rot. And the reason for sharing this stems from a book that I read. It's called The Unchurched Next Door. It's about the different levels of where people are at in reception to the gospel for those who are not uh, church. And you know, a lot of times we focus our efforts on uh, those who are most antagonistic to the gospel. And you think about that. Whenever we're worried about sharing the gospel, we're trying to prepare our hearts and minds for those who are going to be most resistant to it. Well, what uh, Tom Rainer, who wrote this book, states in the book is that, you know, truthfully, in the United States, only 5% of the population falls within that category. It's not 5% of the whole population, but of those who are not already a part of a church. Only 5% of the population. And by the same token, he found that those who are a part of this U1 category, as he designates it, who are ready to receive the gospel and just want somebody to share it with them, well, they also are 5% of the population of those unchurched. So for every reason that we have to be hesitant in sharing the gospel with another person because we're afraid of their level of ripeness and receptivity to it, we have an equal reason to share the gospel. And so what that means, though, is that we need to, um, we need to think about the means by which we are sharing the gospel. And that's what the, the whole theme of this, this topic is, of, of how to train Christians to adapt to a world around us that's rapidly changing. Paul gives the perfect example that by any means it's allotted to me, whatever it is, that's the thing that I am going to do. One of the mantras um, that we've had uh, in training Christians at Creekwood is not only for those that are in-house that we're trying to train, but, but also for the efforts that we're putting forth in making new Christians, new disciples outside the church, uh, is this, that when it comes to the discipleship that Jesus designated and wants us to follow, discipleship is discovering Jesus alongside others for as long as it takes. So as we're thinking about this question of training Christians to evangelize in a new world, a virtual world of opportunities and challenges, there's going to be a lot of hurdles. Some of those hurdles are going to be those hesitations that, that we have in, in being concerned about rejection, about uh, being uh, made fun of, humiliation, things like that. But if we're working together as a church and we're prayerfully seeking God, if we're being leader-led, and we're thinking about each person's level of uh, responsiveness, then God is going to, to help us. All right, And that's important to keep in mind, that it's not just about trying to get the content out, but it's about taking the time to make sure that it's resonating with, with each person that is interested in trying to share the gospel. And at the end of the day, if it's not working Rejection and, and, and limitations and things, not, not seeing a lot of fruit, is not the end. Because that's not the end in the gospel. Rejection with those who we are trying to share the gospel with is not the end. Because the gospel is about persistence, right? The gospel is about persistence that even when we rejected God, He continued to pursue us by allowing Jesus to die on a cross for our sins.
If you're a Christian tonight, then God is ready to use you. He's not relying on your power, your ingenuity, your creativity as much as he is his own. He's not relying on your wisdom or persuasion, but his. He's not relying on your word, but his. And we can have confidence that if we're obedient to God and trying to do these things and seek him at every turn, then wherever we go, whatever we do, wherever people are, so also will be God's presence, glory, and image. Let's pray together. Our God and Father in heaven, we come to you now and we are thankful and honored to be your people. We are thankful to be part of a church that uh, wants to mirror the effort that we saw in Scripture to be faithful to you in sharing the gospel. Bless this church as it grapples with training each other to share the gospel. Give them opportunities. Help us to seek resources that will empower us and give us new opportunities to share the gospel in the world around us. We're humbled uh, that you would choose people to help fulfill your mission. We're humbled that we get to be part of the partnership that you have created since the beginning of time. We're so thankful for everything that you do for us, and we're most of all thankful for your son, Jesus, and pray this in his name. Amen.